Okay, guys, we're, we're in Lesson 14. We're going to look at Chapter 9 today. And, and, the, and the writer is going to continue to discuss the, the Hebrew Levitical Mosaic uh, system of sacrifices and compare that with Jesus. Now, you're probably wondering, like, man, George, what, what, when's he going to be done here with this discussion about how Jesus is superior to the old system? When, when's he going to be done with that? Well, he's going to be done with it after a while, but you got to remember who the letter is being written to. Okay, who's the letter being written to? Jews. In fact, that's the title, isn't it? The letter to the Hebrews. Okay, but not just any Jews. These are Jews who have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, but now have made it are making are are at a point of maybe making a decision to go back to the old system. There may be because of persecution, and we're going to see that actually when we get into chapter eleven. They're, they're facing some difficult, actually chapter 10, they're, they're facing some difficulties because of their faith in Jesus, and it's almost like, is Jesus not sufficient enough? And so they're, they're thinking about going back to the old system. So that's why the writer is spending a whole lot of time trying to help us to understand that the old system couldn't do anything. It, it, it was that, that Jesus is far superior to the Old System, to the Old Testament system, to the Levitical laws, to the first five books. And I also need to make mention of this, especially as today we're going to look at a better system. We're going to look compare the old system to the new system. I need to remind you that under the old system, it didn't benefit you at all. Sometimes we like to say, well, under the old system, I had to do this and do No, no, under the old system, there was no provision for you under the old system. If you were a Gentile, there was no provision for you. The only thing under the old system that was for you was hell. A lack of forgiveness. So I'm just being flat out honest with you. So when we look at this, don't think about, well, yeah, it's a better system... No, no, I want you to see a better system in terms of now you're included. Now you have a hope. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because before you had no hope. There was no promises for you. And this is how great the new system is. Aren't you glad for the new system? Okay? So let's, let's look at this together. We're going to first of all look at verses 1 through 10 where he talks about the old system. Now, when he refers to the first covenant... He's talking about the covenant with Moses, which is the law. That is the old system. So let's look what he says here. Verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For the tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot, which had the manna, Aaron's rod, which had that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. And of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things 
had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance. Let the Holy Spirit indicating that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. All right, so let's talk about the old system. First thing he's going to focus on is the earthly sanctuary. So the Mosaic system has ordinances concerning service and the earthly tabernacle. So when you read through, this is why people get really bored. Have you noticed when you try to read through the Bible, you start in Genesis, and wow, okay, I got through Genesis, that was pretty interesting. Then you get to Exodus, and you, you kind of go through Exodus, and you say, well, this is not... There's some things that are similar to the movie that Charlton Heston was in, but it's not completely there. But then about halfway through Exodus, you're like, whoa, it's the law. And it's, it's instructions of how to build this tabernacle and instructions about what the priest is supposed to do. And, and you make your way through that and you get to Leviticus and then you're like overwhelmed. You're like, oh no, more of it. In fact, Leviticus is a whole lot more of it. And numbers. And you give up. People give up reading their Bibles then. Because we read our Bibles like they are books that you would buy in a bookstore. But the fact of the matter is, is the Bible is a collection of 66 books. Okay? So you, you don't necessarily need to start at the beginning and try to work your way through that. So the Mosaic system, which was the law, the first five books, had ordinances concerning service and concerning the earthly tabernacle. So the first room was called the holy place. So in the tabernacle, inside the tabernacle, the first room was called the holy place. Now, in this room, the lampstand, the table, and the showbread were located. It's in this room that the lampstand, the table, and the showbread were placed. Just for you to know, Bible trivia for you, this is where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was ministering when the angel came and told him that his wife would be bearing John the Baptist. Okay? So this is where that angel appeared. It is in the holy place. Alright? So this is outside of an inner chamber which is called what we know of as the Holy of Holies, okay? But the writer refers to it as the holiest of all. So the second room was called the holiest of all, or what is commonly known, if you've been around in any kind of study before, is known, a lot of you know it as the Holy of Holies. How many of you have heard that term before, the Holy of Holies, okay? So he's talking about the Holy of Holies. And in this room was located the golden censer, or bowl, and the Ark of the Covenant. A censer is a bowl. 
a metal bowl. And this bowl obviously was made of gold. So the Ark of the Covenant, he points out here, contained a golden pot of manna, if you remember, when they were ready to cross over into Israel, cross the Jordan, God commanded them to take a golden pot of the manna that they had gathered from the 40 years. You know, every morning they would have manna for food, except on the Sabbath. And they were take, to take a golden pot of the manna and place it into the ark. There would be Aaron's rod, which budded. If you remember, there was a question concerning, uh, an argument that arose in the camp, the Israelite camp, concerning uh, who was really the one to be leading the worship and the Levitical services. And so uh, God commanded that every tribe, the leaders of every tribe, bring their rod and and have them in the holy place. And in the morning, the rod that budded, that was the one who was to be the one who would worship and serve before the Lord. And that, of course, was Aaron, because his rod budded. You're talking about a stick, budding, all right? That was in there. And then, of course, the tablets, which were the ones that God wrote the Ten Commandments on, which actually were a second set. Remember the first set? He broke when he saw Israel sinning, all right? So these were contained in the Ark of the Covenant. Then, above the mercy seat, located on the ark, were angels which overshadowed it. If you remember, if you've ever seen it's go- these, these cherubim, these golden versions of angels, are overshadowing the mercy seat. Now, the writer states that he cannot go into detail concerning these things. So he's just going to flat out say, if you look with me there, at verse 5, that really it's not his purpose for his writing here to go into detail concerning these things. So that's what he's saying there. So what he's going to do now is is in verses 6 through 10, he's going to talk about the priestly roles with this system and with this earthly sanctuary. So the priests performed their daily functions in the first room. So what kind of daily functions would they have? They Well, they... The lampstand would be burning from olive oil, so they had to constantly refill the oil there and make sure the lamps didn't go out. They also had to, the showbread had to be baked each day fresh and placed in there, so at the end of the day they would take the bread away and put new bread out. Okay, if you remember from David's story when he was running from Saul, he went to the priests at Nob, because obviously that's where the tabernacle was, and he said, do you have any food here? And the priest said, we have none but the showbread, the, the bread that was left over from that day before the Lord, which only the priests could eat. And remember, he let David have it as long as they weren't with any, what, women. As long as they had not engaged in any sexual activity, they could have that bread. So it's, it's in this room, this first room, where the priests could do most of their service. In the second room, though, once a year, only the high priest went alone into the second room. So nobody went into the second room throughout the year. Okay? Nobody went into the second room throughout the year. Except one time a year, at the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the second room. And I told you before, when he went into the second room, they usually had a rope tied to his ankle. 
And he had, you know, if you've seen the, the pictures of the priests, you know, long flowing robes, they had bells on him. So that when he's moving around in there, he's tinkering. Tink, 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 you know, you know, he's making a sound. And if there was no sound for a while, somebody would pull on the rope. Is he alive? And if he's dead, they just pull his carcass out of there. Now, why would they do that? Because it's possible that God could have struck him dead. Would God have done that? Well, if you read in the first five books, some of Aaron's sons offered strange fire, strange incense in the first room, and God struck them dead immediately. So it's not, this is something that they live with a fear of what they were dealing with there. Okay? Now, so here's what he would do. He would go into there, and he could only enter with blood, so he could only enter in if he had a blood sacrifice, blood from the sacrifice. He could only enter into the presence of the ark with blood in order to offer it for the sins of ignorance. So he was making an offering for his own sins and for the sins of the Jewish people. And they were because of their sins of ignorance. Now let's just stop for a moment. What's the problem with that? Anybody see a problem with that? Should see a problem there. Because they're only offering sins, I mean, offering sacrifice or making an offering concerning what? All sins? Yeah, you're talking about that they only, only made offering for sins that were done in ignorance. Now, let me ask you a question. Gene, you're looking kind of perplexed there. Okay? Well, it is. Whether you know it or not. Well, the priest is making an offering for sins that you don't know that you committed. Okay? But the problem is, is the priest is not making an offering for sins that you have committed. Do you understand what I'm saying? What's the problem with that? Huh? Well, they're not missing the boat. You're missing the boat. Yeah, do you, what, what's communicated there is there was no forgiveness. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because how many of you... I mean, we've all done something wrong ignorantly this week, okay? Everybody recognize that? Okay. Now, don't raise your hand, because I already know the answer, all right? How many of you have done something that you know was wrong this week? More than once. How many infinite times this week? So think about that. If you're a Jew, wow. Wow, isn't that interesting? He he comes in and makes offering for his own sins of ignorance and for the sins of the people. Of ignorance. Notice the scripture says, it's not George making this up. Look at what the text says. The text says, look at, look at their verse 7, I believe it is. Cons- committed in what? The last part there. In what? Ignorance. Now, let's just remind ourselves of something. For you and I who are Gentiles, <laughs> that wasn't even being made for us. Do you, do you understand? Wow. 
Do you see why it's going to be a better system? Let's go on. Here's what else he says. The Holy Spirit showed that through the old system, there was no direct access to God. Through the old system, there was no direct access. Okay, let me... Even the way the, the structure of the sanctuary was, whether it's the tabernacle or the temple itself, even the way of the structure, there was the court of the Gentiles. That was, that was on the outside. The court of the Gentiles. That was as far as a Gentile could go. If he goes beyond that point, he would be killed. Then there was the court of the women. So the next best thing above a Gentile was a Jewish woman. Okay? And there was a court of the women, and that's as far as the women could, Jewish women could go, if they went beyond it into the next level, next courtyard, they would be killed. That's as far as they could go. Then there's the court of men. That's as far as a non-Levitical man could go. Then there was a court of priests where the priests ministered, and then you got into the inner sanctuary, which is what? The holy place and the holy of holies. Do you see how it starts to dwindle down who has access to God? So just based upon the way the courtyard was set up, we got you and I as Gentiles, we were a long way from having access to God, weren't we? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the point. What he's saying here, the writer is saying, is that the Holy Spirit showed that through the old system, there was no direct access to God. Do you understand? No direct access to God. Now, here's the illustration he uses in verses 9 and 10. The old system was symbolic for the present time. So the old system was kind of a foreshadowing, a symbol for the present time is what he's saying here. The offerings could not cleanse the consciences of those who made the offering. So let me ask you a question. You ever done somebody wrong? Don't answer me. I know you have. And you've gone to them and and you've asked their forgiveness and maybe they gave it to you. But did that remove your guilty conscience? For, you know, cause you, you know, did that remove the guilty conscience that you would still have later on because you did them wrong? Do, do you know what I'm saying? Because even though you asked them forgiveness, I know cause I've been, I've been a pastor for a while. I deal with human beings all the time. Even ten years later, you're like, you see them and you're like, well, yeah, I did that to them. I wonder if they accept me. Do, do you know what I'm saying? You've got this conscience thing going on. He's saying that in the old system, even with all of the sacrifices, the sacrifices could not deal with your conscience. Do you hear me? The old system could not deal with your guilty conscience because of the things that you've done. It could not cleanse the consciences. Here's what else. The regulations concerning food and other ceremonial exercises were only temporary. They were only temporary is what he's saying here. So now we get to the new system, which we find in verses 11 through 15. So let's look at those verses together. 
But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal, of the eternal inheritance. Alright, so let's talk about Jesus here. Christ, our high priest. First of all, Jesus came as the high priest of the new system. Do you guys How many of you remember from the Gospels, the moment Jesus died on the cross, something happened in the tabernacle? Yeah. The veil was torn, and it wasn't just, I mean, first of all, you've got to realize, it's a thick veil. The way it's described, we're not just talking about, you just can't go up there. How how many of you have seen the muscle man shows where the guys show up and they tear telephone books and stuff? You've ever seen one of those shows? Okay. I mean, there's a lot of Christian guys that do that or whatever. You couldn't just take this and rip this, all right, because it was a thick veil, a thick curtain. Now, the interesting thing is the Scripture tells us it was torn from what? Top to bottom. So this is a God thing that's going on here. Why? Access to God. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we have what? Access to God. Because remember, under the old system, it very clearly was telling us we did not have direct access. You have direct access to God now. Okay, so listen. Jesus is that high priest of that new system. He serves in a better tabernacle that is not of this world, is what the writer is saying here. He's in a better tabernacle that is not of this world. And that's in the heavenly sphere. He's in, in see, the tabernacle was just a physical representation of of God's presence in heaven. He's serving in heaven. Remember, we know that because Scripture tells us that he sits on what? The right hand of God. All right? Now, Christ did not enter with the blood of animals, but with his own blood. The issue here is this. His his entrance into the presence of God was not because of the sacrifice of animals. It was because of his own sacrifice, his own shedding of blood for us. Do do you understand? That made him acceptable into entering in as the high priest. He did this, he did so because he had obtained eternal redemption for believers. Let me help you to understand redemption. Redemption is a a word, well, you, you guys understand redemption like you go and, you know, you go and redeem something at a store like with a coupon or something, all right? Redemption in their term was, was, was a, especially in the, in the New Testament here, and especially with the writer of Hebrews, is, is a concept of you being redeemed from the slave market. Somebody redeemed or purchased you 
from the slave market to set you free. You were redeemed. So for you and I, He purchased our redemption with His blood. We were redeemed from the slave markets of sin. Do you understand? And He set us free. He set you free. Do you realize you're free? He purchased that. Did you understand what I'm saying? You're free. Now the problem is, you've been redeemed by the high priest from the slave market of sin, but you continue to live in it because you don't understand. But he's bought you. He's released you. He's freed you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's freed you. So let's go on here. The blood and ashes of animals served ceremonially to clean people. So when you remember, you know, if somebody was unclean in the Bible because they touched a dead body or maybe there was mold in their house or something like that, and they were ceremonially unclean, they had to be cleansed with blood and the ashes of a heifer and, and so forth. That was all to ceremonially clean you. That's what the writer is saying here. That was only to ceremonially clean you. But he goes on and says, the writer asks, how much more... Will Christ's blood clean our consciences of our sin? Wow. The old system, the old system had its failures, didn't it? The new system, Jesus' sacrifice, He the high priest, when He cleanses us, He cleanses us. Now somebody would say, okay, well that's Great, George, because I'm a believer, but my conscience still isn't clean. Well, here's the issue, though. You're choosing to continue to dwell there. Or you're allowing the enemy to continue to remind you of that. That's one of the ways he defeats us and say, won't you remember when you did this? What you need to do is you have to consciously embrace the truth that you are forgiven. That it's remembered no more. Did you understand? That he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. And see, if you begin to tell yourself that, every time you start wrestling with that, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, and the Holy Spirit affirms that in your heart, that is cleansing, my friend. You, you, your, your mind will be cleansed. And ultimately, when you go to be with Jesus, can I remind you of something? When you go to be with Jesus, you're not going to remember the stuff you did wrong. The stuff that haunts you. That's cleansing, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? I mean, that is awesome! The old system couldn't do that. Remember, the old system only took care of what you did that you didn't know you were doing. And then for you and I as Gentiles, it wasn't doing anything for us anyhow. I mean, seriously. He became the mediator through his death. What's the mediator? He became the one who, who what? Remember, he just talked about this before in chapter 8. He lives to make intercession for you and I. You know, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father right now praying for you. You want a picture of that? You just go to, you go to Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. And there, there's a vision of Joshua the high priest, clothed in dirty garments. 
And Satan is there accusing him, accusing Joshua the high priest. And, and the angel of the Lord says to him, basically, shut up. The Lord rebuke you, is what it says. Is this not a fire, a brand plucked from the fire, is what the text says. Is this not one who was... And then it says, clothe him in white and give him a new turban. What a beautiful picture. Because the one who's interceding for us and telling Satan to shut up is Jesus. And what he's saying is, I paid the price for them. Say, I don't know if I believe you, George. First John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I run unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, who is what? Our propitiation for our sins. But not only our sins, but the sins of the world is what the writer says there. What is a propitiation? Wrath satisfier. That's what it is. He satisfied God's wrath. He's your advocate. Boy, can't think of a better mediator, huh? Do you know what I mean? Can't think of a better person to be praying for you. Isn't that not awesome? Here's what he says. He did this to redeem those whose sin was exposed through the old system. Here's what the old system did. The law did. Can I be honest with you? Can I tell you what the law does? The law reveals the sinfulness of our heart and our tendency to want to sin. Do you know what I mean? Seriously, though, have you ever done this exercise where you put a group of kids together and you told them not to do anything? I mean, and they never even thought of it, but you tell them, uh, you know, have, enjoy yourself here, but don't do this. Do, don't do this. How many of them will try to do it? I mean, they never knew, until you told them not to do it. Where did that come from? Their, the sinfulness of their heart. We're not born good. Do you understand? Nobody teaches their kids how to lie. Do you know what I'm saying? Nobody teaches their kids the pecking order thing and to fight with each other and to see who's boss in the room and whose toy is my toy. Nobody teaches them that. Okay? He did this to redeem those who were... Because the old system, the law, revealed our problem. Here's what it is. He did this so that those who are called will receive the promise of eternal life. The term called there is reflective of salvation. Okay? So that those who, who are saved have the promise of eternal life. Isn't that not awesome? It's a better system, isn't it? You know, better system. You know, I shake my head, and I'll ask some questions here in a moment. I hear people all the time, I want to eat the Old Testament way. Why? Why? Yeah, maybe it'll make you healthy. People who are seven-day Adventists live at least ten years longer than the average person who goes to church. Well, that's because they follow the Old Testament dietary laws. Okay, they live an extra ten years. Okay, so uh, they're still wrong, but uh, good way to live, I guess. But the fact is, is you don't have to be bound by the old system. The old system only revealed to you your what sinfulness. And your need for Jesus. Next week we're going to uh, look at a superior sacrifice.